Good evening. This is the Consequential Podcast, our special non-Dave edition. We uh, we join you this evening, therefore, from his house, where we're touching all his stuff. Lucy, do you think we should have worn trousers? I don't think so. Okay. Fine. fine, I I think we made the right choice. Excellent. I'm I'm smearing my nethers on his things. Which, Which things? Um, well, all of his stuff that he really likes, you know, his Rebox, his PlayStation 2. Oh, golly. All Not the Rebox. In addition to the smearing, Lucy, what have you been reading? I've been reading all kinds of things. I've been reading some stuff for our uh, bumper theme this week. Mm. Cheese and gay stuff. Cheese and gay stuff. The theme brought to you by What Do We Know Slightly More Than Dave About. <laughs> Um, although I think arguably he could probably hold his own on a cheese and gay stuff podcast. Yeah, I think he's a, be all right. a well-rounded man. Yeah, he's a he's a Renaissance man for that kind of very dairy-based Winkelmann take on the Renaissance. Mm. Mm. You know, back when people had only been digesting lactose for a few tens of thousands yeah. of years, we've but come a know, long way. The Renaissance has been comprehensively queered by cultural criticism, and, and cheese could go the same way. I think it's true. I think it's absolutely true. I mean, Alex James from Blur makes cheese, and I think he's probably been comprehensively queered by the fan community. Oh, gosh, yes. Mmm, tasty. So this week I've been catching up on Wictiv and Injection, both of which I think Roger's been reading too, so we'll probably talk about those as a pair, which is really all we are, seeing as there's only two people, so I guess it's going to be us talking about stuff. Well, there's Dave's housemate who we tied up in the back. That's true. He's making soft moaning noises, soft enough the mic's not really picking them up. He's very considerate. He's a... Yeah. Just a lovely man. Yeah, nice young man. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame about what we're going to have to do to him later. Yeah, well, if he hears all of this. Well, quiet. Especially the outtakes. I have been reading some reading for the cheese and the gay stuff reading. Excellent. um, Which I think we'll get on to later. I've been catching up as well on Ojoy Sex Toy, Mm. which could fall into recent reading or could fall into cheese and gay stuff category. I mean, it's, it's a flexible comic. And I've also been reading The Ditch, which Roger has been reading too. Would you, would you like to talk about any of these things? I, I'd like to talk about all of them, to be honest. Should we, should we start with Wictiv? Let's start with Wictiv. Wictiv by Dem Dudes. Those guys. Yeah. Those guys all the internet likes yeah, quite a lot. Yeah, you all knows about them. Yeah, They're you know the who internet. they are. You didn't, we don't say their names. Yes, so I read uh, issues 6 through 14 of Wictiv, which was... Uh, so I, fin- I read the first trade, and then I stopped for a while, and then more Wictiv was created, and now I've caught up. Um... It's strange. For something that garners so many opinions, I don't have all that many opinions about it. I think I see where you're coming from there. It's adequate. And by adequate, I don't mean that it isn't good, Mm -hmm. because it is, but it is adequate for me, for my life. It fits into the niche of, this is perfectly pleasurable reading. It's, I think I'm probably, I'm either too old or taking too much medication to be deeply moved by it. I, I wonder I wonder how much of the fan reaction or how much of the, the discourse about it is particularly moved. I, I don't know, it's... Well, there's a, there's a certain kind of baseline amount of fangirl or boying of it mm. on the tumblers, or so I've been led to believe. It's super tumble friendly, right? Mm-hmm. Fun, brightly coloured, it's about teens, there's gay stuff, mm. it's what you want. The first arc, the um, Who Framed the Devil for Murder thing, mm-hmm. is... It's bubbly and it's coherent and it works terribly well and there's lots of mystery. and So it's got a mythology which is also super internet friendly and a mythology that keeps you guessing. There's a lot of stuff there. It it feels like there's quite a sort of natural cultural segue from 
the Neil Gaiman, Sandman, and prose stuff into this. This is that for the new generation to some mm. extent. I, th- I think so. I think so. And the, the pop mythos doesn't hurt. It, the thing that I find interesting about the current run, um, and I've also been catching up on this, mm-hmm. is the little sort of detour it's taken. Most strongly with the Tulalote issue, which I think was thirteen, mm-hmm. and then fourteen, which is the re-remix. Yeah, but also to some extent with some of the other. I, I, I didn't wildly get on with twelve. I have to say, something about the art just bothers me a little bit. Yes, I, on the whole, have been struggling with it a great deal more since it stopped being Jamie McKelvey. Mm-hmm. One of the big, one of the things that made it sit in the sort of happy top level of adequate for me was just how fucking pretty it was. That man is good. He's seriously good. He's good at drawing the humans mm. and the colorist is it's it's yeah is Matt Matt Wilson isn't it I think I think so yeah. I'm not sure it's sensational as well as yes well that's there, I think some of the things actually some of the coloring in particular some of the stylistic choices towards the end of the McKelvey run um, when you've got people sort of disappearing in glitzy ways that seem almost mm. influenced by. TV or film effects. Mm. If you were drawing a comic and you'd never watched anyone disappear on old-timey TV, you wouldn't do it the way they've done mm. it. There's clearly an, an influence there, well, and it's I saw sparkly thing, and beautiful. I saw a thing on Twitter that suggests he started reading up on kind of direction and is interested in getting into film projects. So I mm. think that might be a train of thought. Yes. You can see it there. There's, there's, there's a conversation between mm. it and the more kind of movement-based visual media. You know, the Tilalete issue, I mean, she is bloody good. I haven't, I've leafed through but not read Supreme, Supreme Blue Rose, mm-hmm. um, and the visuals are, are absolutely gorgeous. She's picked, that's the, that's the Tara issue. Yes. Which is kind of, well, so 13 and 14 are the ones that I'd kind of most strongly want to talk about. Um, partly because they represent this slight interlude mm-hmm. of, this is going to sound patronising and I really don't mean it that way, but let's teach the internet social justice. Yes. It's it's pulled back to be quite a bit more didactic, I think, than than it sometimes has in the past. It's it's interesting as well. I, I was left wondering how much the people who need those messages are going to be reading that thing. Um, only the tiny subset that Woden represents. Mm. There aren't many people that need that message that are also engaging in the discourse, and Woden represents the evil. That, or one of the things he's created to represent there is is like the really bad version of that guy. Yeah, but I think I guess what I've kind of gleaned of the readership is that it's, you know, based on the issues it tackles, it's generally a bit more socially aware and maybe even social justice oriented, or mm. at least moving in circles adjacent to those things. I I can't, I don't think Bros would read it. Like at all, without even so, without even knowing what some of the content there is. No, I just I think it's very unlikely to be bro attractive. In the same way that Phonogram appealed to those sort of like slightly sad '90s music kids, mm. I, I I see the precise mechanisms by which this would have lit up my brain and my imagination probably about ten years ago. Mm. And in the meantime, I've grown old and jaded as fuck. So, like, just to kind of quickly for. Anyone following along or not following along or something, just to do some vague podcast due diligence on what the fuck we're talking about. Yes, this is important. Um, issue 13, the Tudelote issue, is um, concentrates on Tara, who the god we've not seen before, and is... Fuck it, spoilers, whatever. Is effectively her suicide note. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only does she not particularly enjoy this godhead thing, but it's the... But it's the um, apotheosis... Is it, every pun intended, um, 
of her life deeply embedded in what is essentially rape culture. Mm. It's She has been constructed as a sex object her entire life and something available to men has been on the end of deeply unpleasant sexism. Mm-hmm. It has got in the way consistently of everything that she has tried to do in terms of self-actualization and living some kind of life or being a serious artist. Mm-hmm. The only thing that enables her to be a serious artist is this deific elevation, which she kind of fights against. Yeah. Um, and having just had enough, she you know she decides she's done. And there's this sort of pull out into the social media reaction, and yeah, it, it's a really well done one of those. It's it's like it's both. I I, I where I where I stand on this one is I think it's both. It's amazingly on the nose, and more amazing is that it's so on the nose, but they get away with it. Yes. It, it, to some it's extent, really it's well a very done. special episode. Hmm. It, it is, to an extent, the look-to-camera, hey kids, let's talk about sexism show. Mm-hmm. But we need that, and it's really well done. We do need that, and it's really well done, and I'm still concerned it's preaching to the choir. Almost certainly. Uh, what, did, what, did you, what did you make of 14? I don't know. It... I just feel kind of confused when I read it. Yeah? Not specifically... Like, 14 sticks out as one that left me particularly confused, but not... It's the same is true of all of that. I kind of get a... I don't know, it's not quite satisfying. There's a feeling of, why did I read that? What just happened? What are you trying to tell me that I'm not engaging with effectively? And I think that's on me. I don't know. I think some of that's intentional. Something I actually... Something I discovered while reading this was that... I read comics so much better when they're PDFs zoomed into near panel level because oh, that's interesting. when I'm reading them in book format, when it's smaller, I'm pretty much only reading the text. The pictures are cursory. I do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not. A, I'm not a pictures person. I'm not. I don't know why. I'm, I don't know why I come here because I'm. I don't understand visual media. I don't learn or perceive particularly. No, I that you do. <laughs> I can criticize it if I want to, but it. It's not fundamentally how I'm wired. I, I do words. Words are what I do. Words are the bit that I understand. So I have real sort of real trouble reading comics that are very sparse on text. Mm. I really struggle to know what's going on to pass I the pictures, well to pass the narrative. Yeah. I think like one, one of our, one, at some point we should do wordless as a topic and I'm terrified of it. Uh, can we not? Yeah, maybe not. Uh, can, we do, can we just read some actual books instead and do that as a topic? <laughs> All words, no words. <laughs> it's it's kind of yeah. Like on, on first passes, I will often mostly be be reading the text and, mm. and miss a lot, and then come back. So I found that particularly when reading um, the first issue of Injection for the second time. Mm. So the first time I read it was as a single in print format, and I kind of skimmed through. I was running late for the podcast, in fact, and mm. wanted to get it in before we sat yeah. down and. Reading it the second time, there was so much there that I hadn't picked up on, both in terms of sort of, not just panel details, but actually sort of themes and content mm. and like characters and stuff, you know, the really important bits. I think there's a kind of a fun but slightly fatuous parallel you can draw between Wicked 14 and Injection 5, which is that they both have kind of reveals. Yes. Like we know that Anaka is up to no good, but the extent of it is revealed by Woden and the mechanics of, how, of the way everything happened mm-hmm. is kind of, if we assume he's telling the truth. Yes. And Injection 5 has this wonderful reveal that I kick myself for not seeing coming. Did you? Did I kick myself for not did, seeing did it coming? Did you see it coming? I did not see it coming. Yes, no, so the big reveal in Injection I thought was very interesting. The kind of 
if, if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. The, um, the design choice that then turns out to be quite pivotal to the plot was one that I'd questioned when I first read it. Mm. I sort of thought, whose idea was it to do this like this? Is and it just being weird and postmodern? What's going on here? Is yeah. it old Uncle Warren been at the whiskey again? Yeah. Love that guy? I know you do. <laughs> you have, like, real feels for him. I do. Like, he nearly died, and I was like, no. Well, he may not have died, but he had that weird medical thing. He did have that weird medical thing. Yeah. It was bad. It, well, it, it's okay, he's here. Yeah. He's making comics. <laughs> again. I'm glad he's making comics. I like it when he makes comics. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, catching up on, on both Wicked and Injection... A lot of good stuff out of the moment. But mm. Those are both. I mean, they're both like ongoings that we we. I think we've all kind of enjoyed. I, yes. What what do you, what's your? Was this the first time you'd read Injection? Read the first. I'd one read the then... first one, and then the uh, two through five were new. What do you I'm make of it? Really enjoying it. Um, it's. I think actually, mythology wise, it's pitched a lot closer to what I like than Wickdiv. So, mm. Wickdiv has a little too much of the academic mythology about it. Whereas this felt particularly that a lot of it's sort of British based, mm. the kind of almost a bit sort of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. It's got yes. that kind of deep British root type mm. thing to it that I'm quite into. Mm. Um, so I, I've enjoyed that. I like the characters. I like the art. The colouring's great. Of course it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. Um yeah, Declan, I mean, Declan Shelby's doing a great job with the eyes. Is it, I think it's Geordie Belair, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the dream team. It's, it's Uncle Warren and the happy young twins. <laughs> I'm I'm particularly drawn to Maria as a character. I hmm. like her a lot. She's... She's the most real so far. She yes. and Robin have had the most screen time. Yes. Yes, I like Robin as well, but I also like... Really, really like, like, really deep down, like, the point she makes about how it's always the sad guy who's maybe yeah. a wizard who's important and yeah. she just goes around unfucking tremendous amounts of fucked up shit and no one will bring her a fucking sandwich. And then when she does, it's the saddest sandwich in the world. Mm. Okay, right, so here's the thing that I find is interesting. But there's a couple of things I think are... Knowing what we now know about the reveal that mm-hmm. actually may, may turn out to be important, mm-hmm. the sandwiches. It's not the only thing we see anyone eat in injection, but we basically we very nearly only see people eat sandwiches, we only, and it's almost we, the only food that's ever mentioned. We only see sandwiches. Uh, this could be wrong. My hypothesis: we only see sandwiches in the future bits. In the past, there are group dinners with yeah. wine. In the future, there are only sandwiches. In the post-injection yeah. world, there well, are only it, sandwiches. It can't invent. No. Sandwiches are combinations of pre-existing ingredients. Yes. I mean, so is all cooking to an extent, but sandwiches are more iconically so. True. And more iconically packaged or packageable. Yes, they are commonplace things pushed together for convenience. Mm. Yeah. So you've also been reading um, the Ojoy Sextoy. We'll come to the ditch in a moment. But, uh, yes, I've been, been catching up on Ojoy Sextoy, and it's um, they've covered a variety of interesting themes since last time. Something I really, really like um, about the series as it goes on is... Not just the ongoing commitment to sex positivity and representing lots of body types and gender expressions, that stuff's all great. But what I love is, even for the thing that they are, they are not trying to sanitise what they are at all. Because mm. it's possible to do the sort of borderline kinky, gender-bending friendly stuff in a way that's also still very straight-laced and quite appropriate. And actually they're just going... They're getting lots of guest comics to talk about weird sex stuff, and the weird sex stuff isn't being 
cleaned up at all. It's yeah. just weird sex stuff, and that's great. I really like that. Well, yeah, the furry issue was the fur- Well, uh, <laughs> the furry issue opened, and they were like, we're going to talk to you about something that we don't often talk about. And I was like, oh, it's furries. And it was just piss. It was furries pissing. <laughs> um, the furry thing wasn't even mentioned. Oh, they did a piss comic? Yeah, the furries did a piss comic. And how was the piss comic? Pistastic, I would say. That's how I would rate it. I would rate it like... Uh, four drops out of five. Mm. Um, how, how well did it leave you knowing the topic? I mean, what's the epistemology here? There was a lot about... Oh, fucking hell. Um, <laughs> I did clock it straight away. It just took a little while to get out of the mouth. Um, a lot of it was trying to convince the reader that piss is not necessarily the enemy, which just didn't really feel like a place that I was coming from. Mm. So, you know, sort of... It was presented as three people who are clearly involved in some kind of erotic capacity, two of whom happily engage in water sports, the third of whom is interested to find out more. But he's the fall guy, he's the but isn't piss full of horrible bacteria guy, you know, Mm. asking the questions that you know we want to refute. Um, The piss looked kind of weird in the comic. (laughs) It was really (laughs) yellow. My piss ain't that yellow. Like, how do you represent a liquid that's often quite clear? Yeah, yeah. Um, It didn't make me want to piss on anyone, be pissed on any more than I already did, which was not really at all. Yeah, I not, don't not, really want to drink. It's not for me, I don't think. Like, you can drink your own piss, but you better, um, you got to hydrate yourself first. There's a lot of salt in there. You don't want to... Yeah, I don't want to... I do want to salt already. Yeah. Mine must be like the Red Sea. No, my, I think my, my piss is fairly inert. I drink a huge amount of water to, to mm. keep the old kidneys churning through if they lithium mines but um yeah it was it was interesting as a topic it's one of those ones that i think represents what i was talking about just now where they're just willing to go to places that more prudish extremely sex positive comics might not Mm. that was nice but i don't think piss is for me that's fine that is no, fine. No, no one's going to... No beauty of the sexual revolution. No one's just going to tie me down and piss on my face. No. I mean, they might. It would be assault, but... <laughs> unless you ask them to, which it seems, un- it seems unlikely that you will. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, they've covered some interesting topics unrelated to piss recently. Um, there was one about going to a swingers party, which, mm. if that's your thing, that... Um, I sometimes wonder if it would be, but I think I'd be too nervous. Agreed. I also don't think I'm really into the public thing that much. I have no idea. Hmm. I mean, I don't... I don't find a lot of porn that hot, so I'm not sure what I get from watching it in the flesh. Maybe a little... Well, but then Hmm. a lot of porn is so staged, maybe I would get a lot more from watching it in the flesh, but it would feel maybe kind of weird. Hmm. Um, It was good to know that Erica Moran suffers from the exact problem I do, which is she can't stay awake at a party past 10 o'clock at night. (laughs) Even if everyone's getting it on yeah even if everyone's getting it on it's just it's a tired cranky time um there was a review of a new quite comprehensive guide to girl sex which sounds good Mm -hmm. if that's a thing you're into their main criticisms were about the editing and the design layout so i think the content's pretty fucking solid uh if 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 sticking your face in fannies is your thing then it's not personally but you know I'm sure for some of our listeners that will be a thing. Hopefully. Um, And there was a review of some lubes. Oh, I read that one. Which, um, I wanted more. Yeah? I understand how difficult it is to review... Okay, so I have an extremely pernickety fanny. Mm. I'm allergic to most lube. 
Like, I'm allergic to the lube that you're not meant to be allergic to. Oh, golly. Yeah, I'm allergic to the lube that... Well, the trouble is, those stupid fuckers take out all of the parabens and chemicals Mm. and they put in a lot of natural shit that also irritates me. (laughs) Um, Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess I wanted... I wanted somebody with mucous membranes that are as sensitive as mine to tell me which one was or wasn't going to set me on fire downstairs. Um... But that didn't happen. They found it very difficult to review the lubes because fundamentally they make your sex stuff a bit slippier. Yes. And there's not much more you can say. You can't really close read a sexual lubricant. No, it's true. It's true. It's like it's some goop that squelches up your downstairs. (laughs) Yes, it is. It's a great invention. It's It's wonderful. It's it's wonderful. It's made things accessible for so many people whose holes of preference don't always do what they're meant to. So, um, Prowler, my favourite gentleman's paraphernalia store. Indeed, gay underwear and stuff. Yeah. Um, still sell the, um, like, iconic 1970s American gay scene, like, vegetable vegetable shortening that people used to, like, they, they still sell that as a sex thing. Is it Crisco or something? Like the, yeah. The, 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 the grubby, like, effectively margarine. Yes. They still sell that in the sex section. Margarine like for a, your anus. As, like, a retro, retro sex thing. Presumably if you want to sort of feel like you're in the... 70s leather scene or something, I don't Is know. Is retrosex a thing? I hope not. Well, no, why would I hope not? Um, yep, so Ojo Sex Toy, still good. Still doing their thing. If it's a thing that you like, you probably it. enjoy it. Uh, if you want to learn about pissing on stuff, you could probably figure it out on your own. It's not mm-hmm. that hard, but... Not in the sex context, just no. like pissing on stuff. It's like, <laughs> just, just take your piss hole and aim it. So one of the like we've been kind of gabbling around the, what we've read. I think we've, because we've read a lot of we've the read, same stuff. Yeah, there's a big overlap in yeah. what we've read this week. So the other thing, um, mostly so, you gave me all those PDFs. Oh yeah. So the, the the thing that I think is is super interesting is well, just one of the things I was really delighted to receive is the first comic from a lovely chap, Christian Carstensen, mm-hmm. who um, is I. I can we call him a friend of the podcast? He came to the podcast. He's a friend of the podcast, for sure. He's yeah, going he's, to Thought Bubble this yeah, year yeah, as well. Yeah, we're going to see him at Thought Bubble. So he was, he was at some of the early consequential pub meets, and um, we work with his partner. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's a lovely, lovely man. Um, computer animator by trade, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some interesting sketch work on his portfolio as well. Like He's been doing this stuff for a while, I mm-hmm. believe, very well. And The Ditch, which we've got a little write-up of on the site, is his first foray into comics. It's a, what, 12, 13-page zombie short. Mm. And I sent a link to this. Here's his Christian's Christian's comic. And I was kind of, cool, I can't wait to see it. With that expectation you have when someone sends you their first creative endeavour, that if they've had the balls to, like, put it out there, it's probably probably decent, right? Mm -hmm. It's probably going to be fine. But that sort of slight teeth on edge, oh, what if I have to, like, oh, yeah. And then it was just fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I have seen far weaker debuts in the published comics press. Christ, I've seen far weaker second, third, fourth comics from established yeah. authors. Well, especially given it's a zombie comic, right? Mm. Let's be honest, most zombie comics are absolute bilge. Warren Ellis has written worse zombie comics than this. Mm. Something I found very interesting about it, um, I... I guess in the kind of towards towards the hard edge of sci-fi, almost sort of. Uh, I guess you get it in like Day of the Triffids and shit as well. The kind of the desire within the work where there's some kind of um, 
some kind of disaster of this nature mm. to fully explain where it came from or why. Mm. And this has none of that. And that's actually great. It's yeah. really refreshing. The fact that we don't spend a whole page of panels in a lab talking about how the virus accidentally got out or whatever. There's just some zombies and yeah. they're fucking up a prison and that's great. And the cultural like artifact that zombies are is so well understood that when you, um, hey, what's all this black goo? Let's, fine, okay. It's out in the world, there's a thing. Mm-hmm. Now let's look at the consequences in this particular locale. Yeah. And you know, there are a few critical things I could sort of point at it. Like Sal, the protagonist, he doesn't need to be a racist for us to know that he's an arsehole. It's true. But that does do a very good job of painting him as an arsehole. Mm-hmm. You know, fair enough. Not all arseholes are racist, most racists are arseholes. Mm. Um, and it's it's. It's incredibly kinetic, like the fight scenes and the bit mm-hmm. where the zombies are overwhelming the, the prison is, it feels... You can feel them creeping on it you. It feels motionful. Mm. Colouring as well is great. Mm. Really, really like the um, the palette, the tones. Mm. And the panel composition. Mm. So the, the the thing with the... There's a scene where he's, he's in a cell with zombies all around and it's kind of, there's knocking on the walls and then a pressure in from the gutters and the panels are slightly decomposed about the place. And, mm. I think Christian has just done a lot of... The man has read a lot of comics. We've talked to him about this. He... He's read a lot of comics. He's read a fuck of a lot of comics. Um, and he has certainly been paying attention. Like, mm-hmm. this, is, this is just a really strong first work. Yes, there are lots of things about it where... Clear elements where... Where you see the artist learning, where you see him mm-hmm. using what he knows works. And it, mm-hmm. of course it works. It works yeah. again. Which I think... I guess a, a mistake I see a lot of people making with their first effort is trying to reinvent processes that already work and actually he's done a really good job of bypassing that and I guess borrowing what needs to be borrowed and Hmm. it's good it it feels like sort of I think if you've ever tried to do anything creative this would be the point where you'd want to come in for Hmm. your first time there's a lot of sort of fumbling around that he's just bypassed and that makes me envious well I assume it sort of happened off page right like sure there must the Maybe he just arrived and was this disgustingly talented off base. That's perfectly possible. But the man is a professional animator. He's been doing work for higher graphic stuff for quite some time. And you can see from his portfolio that he's he draws a lot. He... Yeah, this is this is clearly someone that's put the what is it thousand hours or whatever. It, Ten thousand, yeah. I believe. He's he's put the time in. Mm. It's paid off. Um, I mean, you see this with um, Dave. Uh, Barker's little occasional webcomics, many of mm. them, many of them taking the piss out of Hester, are quite casually done, but incredibly fluent because the man's a professional artist, right? Like it... yes, there is there is not necessarily a natural sort of bleed from professional artist into good at comics, but there are many things that being a professional artist helps you with if you want yeah. to do comics. And one of it's them not is a one for working one, but fluently. Like, there's a lot to learn, right? So this, I think, this is what I thought was so strong about it is that the stuff that it would be very easy not to have under your belt at that point. Mm-hmm. Page composition, flow, panel composition, voice, character. Yeah. There's all sorts of stuff that it would be very easy to just have cringingly bad. Mm-hmm. I get slightly nervous when someone who's an artist um, rocks up in comics with their... And, often fantastic portfolio piece that's Mm -hmm. horrifying and tone deaf to read and this isn't that um it's it's up on the site there's a link you can go and read the whole thing we'll put it in the show notes yeah he's very kindly kind of floated it out as just the thing that he wants people to read yeah which also i think is a good approach Mm. don't it's it for something so good it feels like a nice and humble approach and i also like him for that yeah, there are like, so many people who want to put their first good thing behind a paywall and start monetizing it, and that's kind of not how it seems to work anymore. No, no, and he, you know, I'd, I'd have 
I'd have given him a couple of quid on Amazon, mm. right? Like, it's well worth that. For sure. But, but let's be honest, the amount of time that takes, you're never going to make the money back, so why not have the... Mm. If, you, if you're going to do it as an artistic endeavour... Get the reputation instead. Yeah. yeah. So yes, if, if Zoms and well-designed, well-executed first efforts are your thing, check it out. Oh, it's good. I like it. Mm. Yes, so from the uh, the podcast that brought you a review of Free Apple Tizer, yeah. we now bring you Roger's first cheese string. Yeah, I was I was a little I was a little disturbed when we when we agreed to do cheese and gay stuff, and Lucy suggested cheese strings, and because I'd never eaten one, apparently this now has to happen. I don't think you're going to enjoy it. Do you know I'm not convinced I am. Mm. So how does how does one cheese string? What's the etiquette? Well, first of all, you um, peel open the packaging. Which is not as easy as it sounds. They're probably oh, it's, designed it's for little fucking fingers. Oh yeah, yeah. It's one of these guys. Like go. pull it back, like a you're pulling a condom off a dick. Oh, this is just nasty. I mean, I left it out overnight to breathe. Oh my god! It's 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 flaccid at this point. And the it smells like is... those cheese flavor pretzels, but with a hint of dick. Just smells like a cheese string. <laughs> so what I have done since childhood. What makes it to... stringular? Like this just looks like a some kind of stretching process. I think it's similar to what they do with mozzarella. They just make it in a weird, slimy, sweaty plastic tube instead. But this is like it's just a piece of cheese, right? This isn't stringy. Not yet. Explain. Well, you've got to string it. Okay, so um, bite off the end, just a little bit, and you'll notice the kind of cheesy texture if you squeeze it at the oh, top. Oh, oh, it like... begins to string. Oh, that's horrifying. Yep. And so so grab grab yourself a little string and uh, peel it down the body of the cheese lump. Oh. And then just oh, kind of oh, oh, dangle oh, it into your mouth. Oh. How are you enjoying this cheese food substance? The texture's different when you've peeled it to when you're nibbling the end. I know. That's the magic of the it's cheese string. It's got a fibrousness. Yes. Let's be honest, it tastes fucking disgusting. Yes. I mean, it's like that sort of cheap pizza mozzarella, mm-hmm. but even worse. Like, it really wants to be halloumi when it grows up, but it's never going to happen. No, it's never going to like, happen. Like, structural inequality will keep it back. And it's a shame. They do a variety of other flavours. I'm not so up on what the modern flavours are. They've definitely got one where it's... Oh, God, that shouldn't... That's not a... It's like over-tacky blue tack. That sh- this shouldn't happen to food. It also, the very fine ones look a bit like cheese hair. Oh, what the shit is going on? How does... Oh my god, that's so wrong. Tender listeners, if you are going to eat these cheese strings, I would strongly recommend not pairing it with chenille. What like, would you pair it with instead, Roger? Um, so they've got the grease and they've got the squeak and the artificial taste, so you want something with a little bit of acid and tannin to cut through it. But something bigger... I would probably say a Primitivo. Tell me about Space Dumplings. <laughs> so, um, oh God, I love this book. It, I'm going to try and, I, I've, been, I've been really struggling to write a review for the, for the site of Space Dumplings, and I'm going to kind of blow my review wad a bit on the, on the, on the <sighs> podcast. Ugh. Yeah, that, 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 that was accurate. That, that wasn't right. Um, but... Um, Space Dumplings is the new book by uh, Craig, Thompson. Craig Thompson. Sorry, I yeah. Craig Thompson of Blankets, Blankets. Kind de Voyage, being sad in places yeah. fame. Okay. And rather than being sad in places, it's this joyous. It's it's a Saturday morning cartoon. I wish I'd had. Did Craig Thompson get not sad in the last five years? Maybe. How? Don't know. I want some it's of it. It's not clear. Um, some of it's sad. You'll see. That's good. That's you'll good. See I need that as an anchor. 
you'll see where this fits the profile when I explain a bit about mm -hmm. it. Um, so, superficially, Space Dumplings is the um, story of Violet, I think the character's name is. Little girl lives on an asteroid belt. The asteroid belt is a stand-in for a trailer park with her family, like itinerant spaceships. Her dad's a space lumberjack. He actually harvests, basically, whale poop. Interesting. So the big, the big thing in the background is that there are these whales that devour planets and things and eat basically everything but poop out something you can use as fuel. Mm -hmm. Thin analogy for our ecologically destructive dependence on hydrocarbons. Mm -hmm. um, so you can harvest the whale poop and have high energy fuel indefinitely but your planet might get eaten so the solution to this is to build mobile space habitats and the rich people have all moved on to the mobile habitats and the poor people okay. are stuck on the planets okay so we've got a kind of do androids dream of electric sheep yeah split and violet's mum is violet's dad is a lumberjack and if, or like well poop harvester but the lumberjack in analogy it's it's framed in that structural way mm -hmm. and her mum is an aspiring fashion designer who works in a clothing factory mm -hmm. and gets her break to move to one of the habitats mm -hmm. to work for a snooty fashion designer and the the triggering event in all of this is that a whale eats violet's school so she needs to find a new school. And searching for the new school, she they end up on the habitat, and mm -hmm. hijinks ensue because her dad goes missing for a variety of reasons, mm -hmm. and they end up having to hunt a whale. Mm -hmm. So it's got bits of Jonah and bits of Moby Dick mixed into it. Which, of course, you loved. Yes. yes. And she picks up this sort of cast of school friends, and like the sort of snooty... Well, not snooty, the very, very shy, very retiring, like upper-class academic kid, mm -hmm. and the kid from the junkyard on the asteroid. And mm -hmm. th there's some really on-the-nose like kids with issues stuff. It's a lot like Stand By Me. Mm -hmm. um, but it's so well done and because it's Craig Thompson the panel the fucking pages oh my god the, the visual energy there's this early page where Violet's bounding around their home um, because school's cancelled and she's like yeah I'm going to watch cartoons and mm -hmm. in the middle of the page her parents are having a conversation and then the panels around it is just her pinging around and on the next page it's just her slumped face down on the table I'm bored <laughs> and the rhythm to it is astounding mm. the page design of this book is some of the best I've ever seen like the layout and composition is a fucking masterclass, um, and it's bright and it's colourful, and some of it feels like I don't know Invader Zim or something. It's it's, mm -hmm. it's this incredibly high octane, ugly space nonsense. There's a catastrophic wave of whale diarrhea encroaching on the like. Th th this is the background threat. It's full of big dumb puns. Everything's overcoloured. Um, it's got that kind of kooky, kiddie joyousness that I normally find hateful. Yeah. Except the art is astounding. The characters are well written. The page composition is some of the best I have ever fucking seen. Mm -hmm. And throughout all of this, it is actually a very important story about fighting systemic social injustice. This sounds great. Um, now, yeah. So, so yeah. My, my, my first thought is... We've had a swathe recently of the great white statesman of comics bringing out a new thing. You've got yeah. Scott McCloud, you've got Dylan Horrocks. And when I heard Craig Thompson's space, my first thought was, oh God, it's going to be another uh, one of those. Um, yeah, but it sounds like he done a good. Have you seen it? It's, no, it's can I borrow it? It's shitting amazing. You absolutely can. As soon as I finish reviewing it, everyone wants to buy it. It's also not expensive. Oh, how much is so, it? In the UK, it was published by sorry. In the US, it was published by Scholastic, mm -hmm. who turn out to be this huge comic. Rony Telgemeier is... Yeah mostly published through them or at least was for a while and so to, to give you the context here it came out first on Scholastic in the US and in the UK it's run by Faber okay like this this, <laughs> this is what this book is right mm -hmm. and it's I think it's 11 quid for the paperback and it's about 400 pages sold it's, it's storming it's sold. beautifully produced I'm sold um, it's full of horrifying puns it ducks 
so there's there's a this isn't a spoiler because it doesn't end that way, but it looks so there's a scene where you see the whales eating space junk and you think, oh well that's the fix. The ecological fix is the is a recycling story. The whales eat the space mm-hmm. garbage and everything will be okay again. And while they hint at it, they don't do it. Right. It ducks a lot of the easy easy glib tie-ups. Yes. The downside is it doesn't duck the emotional ones. So it fundamentally comes to rest on something not wildly different to a kind of if you believe in yourself and know who you are, everything will be fine narrative. Okay. So it shows the horrifying structural injustices. Um, Sarah, Violet's mum, goes to the space habitat and everyone sneers at her. Um, there's this whole thing about one of, one of the scientist characters who's working on trying to sort things out. It's kind of, well, working class populations are themselves a, food, a fuel source. They do things that we're not going to be able to do. You know, these lesser people, we, 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 we may not like them, but we have to have we them We rely around. on them. Yeah. So it's got all of this on the nose sort of, it really calls attention to the horrifying social politics of the kind of lack of equality of opportunity, the mm-hmm. systemic injustice, the world stuff, the snobbery. It calls attention to this absolutely beautifully and casts completely broken arbitrary power. Mm-hmm. Like it, almost as well as Roald Dahl does, right? So um, the core thing in most Roald Dahl stories is these little, there are these little parables about the tremendous moral urgency of the revolt against arbitrary tyranny. Yes. This is that. Um, but it kind of ducks it at the end in that obviously Violet doesn't dismantle the system. She couldn't, right? It's not mm. the triumphal story of quite that. Super tween. But the homely resolution... It points to everything that's wrong with wrong with this society. And then leaves our heroes kind of accepting it and finding their place in it. They've learned to revolt and then been kind of somewhat a bit reassimilated. Mm. And they've personally changed the people they've encountered that were bad people. But this had no effect on the system. But yeah, so Space, Space Dumplings ends with... It pulls back into the personal in this way that it does this tremendous job of surfacing structural stuff. And then pulls back into the personal, leaving the structural stuff hanging. Which you can view one of two ways. You can view as a statement on the fact that you can't fucking fight it, it's always there. Mm-hmm. Or you can view as a cop-out. But I think if Violet had reshaped the entire world, that would have been an even more glib cop-out. You can't oh, win precisely. on this. You can't no, win. no, it's... Well, there... It's also to the extent that it mirrors the real world, there are problems that we have not yet solved, mm. so there's not a neat solution. It's not sort of... We're not telling this from the past, we're telling it from the during... But it's joyous and it's big and it's stupid and it's amazing and it looks sensational. And, well, we're, we're a shade over halfway through the year, but if this isn't in my end of year top three, I'll be very surprised. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank mm. you. Cheese break? Cheese break. So we've uh, settled the cheese question and we've talked about what we've read this week. I think it's time to move on to gay stuff. I do like some gay stuff. Well, um, me too. So... We, we, we talked about, what, a couple of podcasts ago we talked about queer representation in the mainstream? Yes, we did. And we've covered some of the titles we're going to talk about today before, but one of the things I was quite keen to do was to go back to, I guess, the history of queer cartooning mm. and look at some of the older stuff. So we've looked at things like Wendell, which is a classic, like Howard Cruiser stuff. We've covered Stuck Rubber Baby before. His, his true. Thing. We've also previously um, taken a look at uh, Dykes Watch Out For, yeah. which I think in the context of Wendell is an interesting one too. Mm talk about but one of the one of the things that we ended up looking at i think was um so regular listeners will know that i sort of get all frothy in my shorts about this one summer it's just this fucking amazing comic he loves the canadians but the the previous piece by the uh, the cousins tamaki is skim mm-hmm. 
which you were reading this week. I was reading this week. And I read a while ago, which I will desperately try and remember bits of so we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's about a uh, teenage girl. She's 16. She is at a... She's one of the outcasts at a fancy private school. Hmm. And it was something, I guess, that kind of immediately resonated with me quite a lot because although it wasn't a fancy private school it was a sort of reasonably well-heeled all-girls school in which I was definitely not one of the popular kids so there was that sort of immediate little oh, hey it's me mm. <laughs> I mean I wasn't really into wicker at that age but I could have been in a different life it's so delightfully articulated mm. just that there's this ironizing tone to her which stuff pursuit of self-construction and I think also there's a lot of, um, I guess the process of the narrative feels like getting a lot of edges knocked off that she maybe didn't necessarily mm. know were there. So, for instance, when she and her friend go to her friend's older sister's, uh, like, kind of witch's coven, it turns out to also be their AA group, and they just spend the whole time <laughs> talking about sobriety. Yeah, that's that's delightful. I love that section. I also love the stuff with the, like, the, the cultural reversal stuff with the friend. Yes. Um, and the the um, it, the thing that this one summer does that the that super mutant magic also kind of does, which is just voice, teenage voice. Mm. My God, she's good at it. Very much so. The 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 kind of the the depiction of the popular girls in particular. I mean, this it's set in 1993, so a good sort of ten years before I was in secondary school. Um, yeah, I was ten, I think. Mm. Yeah. I was four. That's nice. Sorry. Uh, it's okay, I'm going really grey. Um, yeah, so the, the the main premise is that the, the most popular girl in school, Katie Matthews, mm. first of all breaks up with her uh, kind of sporty, perfect boyfriend, and then the sporty, perfect boyfriend kills himself, mm. possibly because he was in love with a friend of the same gender. Yeah. Um, this is all rumour, this is all hearsay, it's never really established. Um and then Katie goes on to have some kind of accident, motives unknown, in which she falls off a roof, breaks some stuff. She's out of school for a while. In the meantime, her sort of her fancy friends start this club to try and get girls to love themselves more and not be depressed and not kill themselves. But it's actually just all about this dead teenage boy that they're all idolising. It's so weirdly awful. Yes. And it's, it's about um, how Skim, the main character, ends up... I guess ends up. I suppose it's more more like Katie ends up in Skim's world mm. through the sort of progressive alienation of the experience that she goes through. So she doesn't want her friends to be all over the fact that her ex boyfriend killed himself. She just mm. wants some fucking time and some fucking space, and no one's giving it to her. Yeah. They're pushing behavioural expectations onto her that she just doesn't want to deal with. So she t- eventually takes refuge in hanging out with the kooky kids instead, and it's a. Uh, it's nice. Mm. I, I really, really wanted them to be friends by the end. I was yeah. really glad that they were. It seemed right. And sort of the parallel track of um, Skim's original close friend, I can't remember her name, de- deserting her a bit is... Lisa? Possibly. Mm. Is, as in I have no idea, not as in I'm disputing that. Um, it is um, potentially a bit glib, but because she's got quite a different voice, because the because they feel very different. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is the this is the sort of if you've ever been one of these people and I have, this is the sort of slightly 
slightly smothering best friend who's your best friend but also isn't all that nice to you Mm. and I guess ends up she sort of lectures Skim a lot on how important it is to be independent and self-minded and then she gets this boyfriend and wears his sweater around and all the other girls admire her he's so independent he thinks everyone should be like that yeah it's that kind of (laughs) sorry he's so individual he thinks everyone it's it's the same joke but Yes, it was it was really really good. It I guess one of one of you can always tell when something written about children or teenagers turns out badly because the author doesn't remember what it was like to be that age, but mm. they so clearly do. Yeah. It's um, what's it? so it's it's got this thing in the middle where she develops a fixation on her English teacher and they mm-hmm. I think they kissed her. They, they did kiss. Yeah. yeah. It's um she sends her tarot cards. Yeah. Notes. Just, but fucking tarot cards, man. I don't. No, I don't. Don't even. Mm. But I, I, I'm not about to claim that it's that you shouldn't include this content. God knows, like, no, that's not that's not me. But the there's enough rich kind of teenage life and identity stuff without that that it doesn't quite feel top heavy. But no, I know what you mean. There's it's... a lot crammed in there. Yes, it's not it's not that long a book and there mm. is a lot going on. I guess that sort of felt like a something I really liked about it, something that did really capture that kind of that teenage experience, that experience of figuring out who you are growing into yourself was that those distinct bits of the narrative didn't all tie together. It was almost like separate mm. floating strands of who she was as a person and with with a wonderful unfinished cadence. Yes, and that kind of when she's writing from her own perspective, that tone of self-awareness that is also omitting so much. Mm. I think, I guess a lot of my own teenage experience was not being willing to admit to a lot of stuff, I guess, that was true about me. So having a very fixed idea of what I thought I was and just pushing away a load of stuff I didn't mm. want to deal with. Um, and you feel that in this. God, I fucking love those guys. Yeah, they're great. Each them to do more stuff. Yeah, they should do more stuff. I wish they'd do more stuff. Mm. Sorry, my nose is really itchy and I don't know what's going on. We don't need an explanation for all the itches. Thank you. Some of them are the chlamydia. It's not true, I don't have chlamydia. I've never had chlamydia. I was never cool enough to have chlamydia when I was a teenager <laughs> and now I'm just too sensible. There's a, there's a wonderful... Um, short in the uh, queer comics anthology I have been reading about that well about oh god are we keeping the chlamydia in do you want to cut it <laughs> no it's um, Jamie Cortez who's I think a um, I don't know if he is but the comic is about um, Cuban US immigrants mm-hmm. and it, it's this little short from I think the 80s early 80s I think it's 81 about a like plucky young gay guy coming to live with an older, more established kind of um, Cuban immigrant that is seen queen, mm-hmm. um, and the guy he lives with is a sort of hard drinking, older seamster and a nurse, and works at an STI clinic or has mm-hmm. done. And there's this sort of flip and decide about yeah. Well, I was standing, I was hanging around enjoying the scene, and then I got my first case of gonorrhea, and the guy I was I can't remember the character's name. So yeah, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, the guy he's living in, this wonderful scene where he just barges into into this bar and just slaps and yells at the guy that gives his young protege 
I think it's gonorrhea or something. I can't remember which it's been like. What at the time is a sort of fairly, it has this this clever side of that. At the time, it was like a badge of honor. You you got your disease, you took your meds. It was a sign you were having a good time. Mm-hmm. And then there's the funny scene where he wanders into the bar and slaps the the guy. And then on the page turn, you've got the the basically the AIDS lecture. You've got this mm. kind of early days of the plague years thing of you may think this is a fun thing. You take your antibiotics, you go home. But here's what we're starting to see. This is what we're starting to see at the clinic. This is what's starting to happen. And then on the facing page, you've just got this entire single page with, of on on the on the right panel, you've got this kind of sculpted torso with an erect penis with a condom on it below. And then this sort of rant about sexual desire, condoms, their, their role in the early, early gay scene, the delightfulness of Kong and all that jazz. And these it's wonderfully arresting images and it's it's got this there's this thing from a lot of the stuff the the sort of early queer comics that we mm-hmm. that I've looked at there's a lot of sex caper stuff yes so the sex capade yeah so the Wendell a lot of the Wendell strips the early ones are originally sex comedies like mm-hmm. one page sex jokes basically yeah so sex is everywhere in this stuff so mm-hmm. some of it is, is sex jokes sex comedies some of it is to some extent sex is what defines the gay experience. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, I will absolutely come back to that. But there's there's a whole bunch of that in the early comics. And this one was the one that brought me up short in the anthology, which because it starts off as a series of funny little sex gags mm-hmm. and scene observations, and then bang, there's this kind of... Straight with the AIDS. But, but it does this really good job of, here was my experience of bang, straight with the AIDS. It's mm-hmm. not heavy-handed authorial intervention. Mm-hmm. This is what happened. It feels to like me. what happened to the guy. It's mm-hmm. like, my sort of gay father figure like scene uncle whatever did the funny comedy thing and then took me home and explained to me about the seriousness and mm-hmm. the, the coda to this is this comedy moment the, pay, the the joke payoff to the first page saved my life it's got this kind of bang funny then switch to sincerity thing and it's and the art is lovely it's it, it's 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 a weird affecting thing you've you've got the the sort of paying homage to my gay dad who died mm. In Wendell as well, yeah. the um, the quilt scene with Sawyer and his partner, mm. where one of their friends has just died, and Sawyer ends up making a patch instead for his gay dad because mm. it's too raw to do it for his friend that's just died. Yeah. So we've leapt straight into we've the... leapt straight into Wendell. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well... <laughs> <laughs> that's but... Ollie's job. Yeah. Hey. But. One one of the reasons that I wanted to that it became easy or possible to pull back and look at some of the um, early queer comic stuff is that this wonderful anthology mm-hmm. um, that I've been trying to read this week and barely been able to nibble through half of, which mm-hmm. is called No Straight Lines: Four Decades of Queer Comics, edited by a guy called Justin Hall, and it's one of those Fantagraphics books that had a short print run in the mid nineties, I think, late nineties. But yeah, so this this collects um, queer comics from their sort of 60s inception through to 2000 and something. Mm-hmm. I think 2004, I want to say 2004. Okay. And and that it takes in a bunch of stuff. And I've, I've also been reading a few other bits and bobs like uh, Miyoki's Side by Side, Greg Fox's Carl's Bed and Breakfast, um, a bunch of Wendell, um, which I think you've also been... Oh, yeah, I also read a bunch of Wendell. Um I will always come back to Dykes to watch out for, particularly in the context of Wendell, given that they're... Aren't they fascinating side by side? I'm very... 
I'm actually kind of glad that I read it in the order that I did because so I've read Dykes Watch Out for a couple of times so I feel much more kind of comfortable with it thus I was able to see from Wendell what went into mm. it plus um, Alison Bechtel does the intro for the collected mm. Wendell which is nice nice little little tie up there and what was your kind of your take on their interaction or interesting differences or what have you uh, interesting differences I think I guess the thing that strikes me about Howard Cruz's work, no matter how serious the point he's trying to make, it is just so fundamentally good-hearted. Mm. There is such a kind streak, particularly in Wendell, but also but in Wendell extent himself. to Stuck Rubber Baby. Yeah, there's it's sort of it's a world in which people are politically active. It's a world in which we know bad things happen, but they are all fundamentally good people. Um, I guess I think Dykes to Watch Out For did a better job of portraying the complexity of humans. There are sort of choices made. So I guess like Tony and Clarissa's relationship, for instance, Mm. where it's not just, well, I guess we're in love now and we're going to be in love forever. It's actually difficult and painful Mm. and they are tempted away from the relationship. And that seems, I guess, a bit more real than the whole... And well, you're either when, dating and you're in the scene and you're fucking a load of people or you're coupled up for life yeah. which kind of happens to pretty much everyone who ends up in a relationship in Wendell so yeah, it happens bicker, to Deb and Tina it happens to Ollie and Wendell yeah. Wendell's old uncles it's um fucking hell that line work oh god it's so good to look at it's just so clean it looks like beautiful. It looks like a gag strip on steroids. It's yeah, this amazing high density, incredibly precise pen work, and yet fluidity of motion. Mm. All the all the limbs keep a little bit of flex in them. And this, this comes into its sharpest focus in Stucker of a Baby, which is just one of the beautiful, most beautiful things you could hope to see as a piece of cartooning. But yes, now I think Stucker of a Baby does a better job of bringing gravitas to the same issues. Mm. Um, it's it's more complex, the people are more complex. Which, yeah. But I guess, of course it is that it was a preconceived mm. work on a specific theme and Wendell was a, a weekly or... Yeah. So th- there's a thing, um, similar to Wendell, um, comic, I think roughly contemporary, maybe slightly later, called Poppers. Okay. Which looks a bit similar. This is about Poppers? No, but it's the same thing. And again, it's, it's single-page gags. It's got a lot less heart than Wendell. It's probably not as smart, mm-hmm. but it's culturally interesting. Uh-huh. Wendell is extraordinarily smart as well. We should, we should. Yeah, it really is. We should point out there are just a ton of. It's not inaccessible. It's one of those things that again is is great in terms of the pitch in that it's not going to be inaccessible if you don't get the highbrow references that Cruz is stuffing in there. Mm. But it's a little kind of free song on top if you do. So Poppers is um, it's Jerry Mills, um, who's someone I wasn't very familiar with. Um... You can see some visual similarities. I think it's a little bit later than, than Wendell. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, it's a bit musclier. It's often around this character, Billy, who is not wildly unlike Wendell himself, mm-hmm. but more of kind of a muscle baby. And it's it's, it's more heavily sexualized. It's usually... So the, the sex in Wendell, it's sex jokes, but it's not sexy. Yes. And this is this is more sexualized humans doing Wendell's kind of like jokes. your favorite cousin. Yeah. Um, and this this is very much part of what seems to be like leaping through this stuff kind of a tradition of you've got the the sex caper the sex comedy stuff on a scale of how sexy or sexualized or mm-hmm. whatever it is 
Um, and then you've got the sort of more politically didactic stuff. Um, there's, there's this whole range, but... Um, you know, so there's, there's this one episode of Poppers in the Anthology, which is um, which is Billy just getting sad about basically everyone dying because it's <laughs> 1980 middle and, mm. like, what, first aid Seth was 83? Before that. Well, death, maybe. I'd... But... Well, I mean, the the sort of patient zeros died in the seventies. Oh, what yeah. are we counting as first days? Sorry, yeah, it's the, um, the one of the big iconic moments was eighty three, but that's not the first day. Ryan, what's his face? Was it? I can't remember. But was that eighty five? I'm very confused. Yeah, I wasn't alive. What I guess what something. But yeah, sorry. early eighties is when it really starts to bite. Mm-hmm. Um, early eighties is not only when it really starts to bite, but when there's no whisper of any treatment. Yeah, or hope, or government responses. There's this wonderful Just piece. Reagan whistling. This is amazing. There's um, there's there's a, a a short that's it's 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 a single page. It's a guy just in these amazing stark neon streetlight colours, giant, giant against the city, punching through a church. <laughs> David Wojanowicz, James Romberger, Magritte Van Cook. I think I've pronounced the first guy's name wrong, but it's this. Is he the seven something a second guy? I think so. Seven unless that's Eric Orner. Seven. Is it seven miles? miles a second? Uh, yeah, it's seven miles a second, which is... There's some stuff by that guy in here. Which is... Um, if, if you're interested in AIDS as a cultural moment, it's one of the most I arresting... I meaning to read it. Pieces. I still haven't. Do you want to borrow it? Or do I you absolutely it? do. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I guess mm. it's very different in that it's not a sort of personal narrative. It's more of a... I guess just a kind of thrashing, howling thing mm. against the world. It's... Well, I mean, that's what this is. So this, yeah. this is just a single-page vignette, but it's just this rant about having this rage about this 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 political and personal rage about a world that just won't help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that starts to build through the sort of 70s and 80s stuff. Yeah. So Yeah, so something that... I guess it's a, it's a period that I'm very interested in, but it's also something that I feel we're almost in danger of losing if we're not careful hmm. because so many of the people who lived through it died and because it's one of those things that well it's okay now we've got antiretroviral so everyone will be fine not to worry about you yeah. which still is just categorically not the case yeah. in a lot of it's hiv positive not, not populations aren't massively better but things are massively better but they're still if far you're in the from west perfect not hmm. even then some of the time yeah, yeah true it's um but no, but it's it's it seems so recent and yet it seems so completely alien to me as somebody who was born around the time there started to be hope. I didn't have I didn't take in those eighties messages of be really fucking careful. But no, it's it's, it's something that I am um, like I guess I'm grateful to every successive work that sort of populates a little bit more of my consciousness of it mm. because it's. Because it is very interesting, and it's also something I just don't know nearly enough about yeah. and want to. Yeah, Seven Miles a Second, which was those guys. I think that actually is a panel from it. Mm. Sorry, just looked it up and checked. Um, but there's there's a whole bunch of, of other sort of bits of anger around that in here. Mm. Um, and one, one of the interesting artifacts, so one of the things that I picked up that I didn't really know about reading reading through some of these strips, is as the health awareness campaign stuff started to kick off... Mm-hmm you then got what some people on the scene, or at least I'm inferring from the comics about it, 
some people on the scene, regarded as a sort of morally prurient promiscuity backlash. Mm-hmm. They sort of thought that the kind of pearl-clutching moral majority had capitalised on yeah, Van der Vage to kind of stamp down on promiscuity and fun, and this worry about, well, one of the ways of not propagating infection would be to be more monogamous, therefore this will be the death of a particular type of gay culture. Yeah. And that's reflected very strongly in some of these strips, mostly, mm-hmm. mostly in joke form. Most of the people that worry about that are being ironised. Mm-hmm. But it was, it's there, it was there as a very real tension. So there's this um, section... That one of the um, early pieces, um, Carl Vaughan Frick, has this weird, like, surreal sexual morality parable thing about a turtle and a scorpion with a cock tail. Like, literally, the tail is a cock. I'm not talking about a dirty martini. Um... Maybe he calls it that. But it's this Howard Cruz-like high-density, almost chiaroscuro mm. line work when, with the, where these, these animals sort of figure for things. And he's, he's, the, the turtle is, is sort of confused and sexually uncertain and is basically being sent to be saved at some kind of camp and it's mm. all about AIDS allegories and the death of particular types of sexual subculture. Um, fucking hell, look at that artwork. Damn. Just, just look at that ink. Um, the sex bunnies, the cascade of sex bunnies. Like there are these, there's the these bunnies that are the leather scene, and they're just tumbling over each other in this fall-down panel to knob each other with sparkles in the background because that was the grand halcyon knobbing day, and it's just. It's the cascade of sex bunnies. The title of the second part of your memoirs. Yeah. 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 There's this broad trajectory, as far as I can tell, in the queer cartooning, as shown in the anthology, at least, Mm -hmm. and some of the other bits I've read, which is you start off with early stage coming out stories and identity stories. Crisis years hit. There's a lot of stuff around Mm -hmm. the AIDS epidemic. There's a lot of of stuff there. Um, As things become a bit more mainstream, as it becomes a bit more sayable, as coming out stories become a bit less radical and a bit more Mm well-worn. Slice of life-y stuff like Wendell, but also like sort of tipping a comedic cap at the culture yeah. becomes a bit more of a thing and exploring a wider range of issues become a thing and then you sort of mm-hmm. move out into more and more acceptance and the effectively anger at respectability politics starts yes. coming in at the oh, end of the God, 80s, yes. early 90s before, in Wendell before it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's from sort of early to mid 80s which is interesting so I guess for me Dykes to watch out for was a history of some sections of lesbian politics in the late 80s, early 90s, and actually seeing what was going on nearly a decade before that in the gay mm. scene in Wendell was a sort of fascinating mm. counterpoint. I guess some of the some of the things that I take for granted as being relatively modern, like just are just there in Wendell and they're kind of fine, like mm. he's accepted by his parents, he and his partner, co-parent his partner's son from his mm. previous marriage. That's all stuff that felt quite radical 10 years later in Dykes to Watch Out For and feels like it's only just become established in maybe the last well, 10, 15 was, years. I mean, it's worth bearing in mind that it was radical in Wendell. That's true, but it also, presumably it is also drawn at least to some extent from life. Partially. I think Wendell, one of the reasons Wendell is kind of so cutesy in places is that it's pointedly aspirational. Mm-hmm. I think some of it is, this is, this is the Archie I'll never get to be. Yes, it did remind me of Archie a lot. Uh, one of the ways in which I think it really succeeds at that as well, in a way that maybe some of the gay comics at the same time don't, is that 
I guess the sort of the inclusion of lesbians as people too. Mm. Like there's a uh, there are some portrayals of the eighties scene which are very much we are gay men, men is all we care about, men, 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 men. And whereas okay. in Wendell, there it's it's a rounded scene. It's and lesbians are phenomenally absent from a lot of the queer cartooning that that I've seen. And in uh, I guess so. Something I was reading a few months ago was about the contribution that the lesbian community made when a lot of gay men were dying of AIDS. Mm. They did a lot of the mopping up of shit and were told by the dying men that they were like filthy dykes who didn't matter. Charming. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Mm. But again, that seems like a story that gets told less often, a story that is liable to be forgotten, which is why I'm glad that we have things like Dykes to Watch Out for, that there are equal representations of that part. Yeah, and I guess as it sort of moves on, it becomes easier to surface some of the the wider, some of the less told stories. Mm-hmm. One of the things I really love in here is a short comic or an excerpt from some comics by Burton Clark, um, Cyros and the SQ Syndrome is this particular vignette. And it's one of the few, sort of for the era, one of the few bits of kind of black gay culture. Mm-hmm. And th- this is this is a, a short story about um, this guy, Cy, who is mostly attracted to white guys getting some shit from one of his friends about it and trying to negotiate whether or not he's a sexual racist, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderfully drawn. Like Again, the, the detail is... It's beautiful. It's precise and acute. It looks like a sort of slightly lighter touch Howard Cruz. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just sort of goes through this series of sexual encounters trying to negotiate this and just doesn't really process it particularly well. Uh, something Something I found... During Wendell, and I wonder if this is maybe, I guess, an aspect of the way in which it seems kind of sanitised compared to Stuck Rubber Baby, but when there were sort of the racial politics of Wendell is so much less well developed mm. than Stuck Rubber Baby, it just which is doesn't. about that. Yes, but it just doesn't really go near that as an issue. So there were, there were parts of Wendell where I kind of wished I was reading Stuck Rubber Baby instead. Yes. Brief shout out for I'm not going to talk about it. Robert Tripto's um, I know you are, but what am I? It's this beautiful daft mid eighties. It's 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 like rug rats with jizz. Um, <laughs> jizz rats. It, it looks like that anyway. Rug jizz. No, oh, that's not going to mop up. No. But yeah, you can check it out. So I read um, Carl's Bed and Breakfast by Greg Fox, which mm-hmm. is a much later. It's a nineties bleeding into two thousands. Um, lifestyle, like slice of life comic, but it's got the, what I thought was interesting. Is it's got the same format as Wendell. Mm-hmm. Page to a gag, life comedy soap about people from a small town, sorry, from Rhode Island, I think, or somewhere in that area, living in a gay B and B. And there's the closeted football, uh, basketball, baseball, sports ball, sports ball player, mm. and the horrifying city boy caricature and various other characters that rotate through. And it's their sort of. It's a bit tales of the city. It's the mm-hmm. tales of the city. It's their sort of loves and lives. But was it originally a newspaper serial? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it ran in. I think mostly sort of gay papers and magazines, and then got collected. Mm-hmm. The art is incredibly accomplished, but originally he can't pace for shit. Like the first mm. few are just heavily. It relies far too much on the words and the pictures. It's mm-hmm. not dynamic storytelling. It's, yeah. it's really weirdly paced and composed, and then it finds its feet quite quickly. But. What really got me thinking about all this was I looked at this and in every single page, everyone's got perfect abs. They take their clothes off at the drop of a hat. And 
in every single panel where there's a man, there's a package. Like there's a foregrounded, <laughs> practically cod piece level, even in the trousers, like it's just <laughs> stuffed. And it's. I want to say I'm gonna no, I'm, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna call male gaze on this. Like it's it's that kind of the implicit gaze of the viewer is a sexualized gay male gaze pointed at these men. Does it feel gratuitous? Yes. Even when it's touching and charming. So with Wendell, it starts off as a sex caper. Mm-hmm. But it's not very sexualized, I don't think. No. No, it's a sort of charming, friendly sex caper. Yeah. And this is a soap, but it's weirdly sexualized. And you said earlier, it's inherently about sex to an extent, culturally. Or can be, or whatever. I can't remember your exact phrasing. Oh, that that gay culture, as portrayed to some extent in the seventies and eighties, is often just straightly equated, straightly um, equated one to one with everyone's having loads of sex. Yeah. It's a sort of hypersexualized culture. But I think there's this thing. I. What's the distinguishing feature? It's what you do with your fun parts. Yeah. What, it's what you do with your fun parts with an added frisson of this hasn't been okay for centuries and now it's becoming okay to an extent, but we've kind of got to fight for it to be okay. It's it's sexy adventures with a political twist. Mm. And so once it finds a space, one, one of the first things it does is talk about sex because that's mm-hmm. the thing to talk about in a joyous way, in a kind of, it's now okay to talk about this. Let's We're do doing sex this. Jokes. Yeah. Um, and then it talks about the distinguishing sexual experience. And something about that, carries through to the later stuff such that like Tom of Finland or I read Side by Side which Mm -hmm. is again later it's a comic by this guy called Miyoki published by Bruno Gmunder who are basically a porn house which I didn't realise and it's this touching sweet cutesy twinky romance but it's just chock full of hardcore sodomy like Mm. it's kind of hot actually in places but it's it's basically a porn comic you ain't reading it for the narrative not really the narrative is appallingly written and very materialistic and aspirational in any way. The weird impetus to sexualization seems to come with the territory and only go away in the overtly political stuff, and the casual stuff that's sort of just exploring retains it for quite some time. Yes, which I guess is why... is I guess is why where sort of my hypothesis of sex as a defining feature yeah. comes from, because they just keep fucking doing it. It's yeah. what, I suppose... And we have this space to do it in, so let's let's have it. Let's occupy that space. But also, if, you're, if your enemy, if the enemy you're setting up is the moral majority, mm. you, they're sort of inherently prudish in a way yeah. that you're not, so you having lots of sex immediately mm. pits you against them. Yeah, and there's this, there's this um, delightful piece, Robert Kirby and D. Travis Scott, called Instruction, which is about this kid going to a sex club for the first time and there being no instructions and him not understanding the social mores. It's texty. It is. It's very, very texty. No, I like that. But um, I, look, I... At, look at the little movement lines. and the, mm, mm. It looks like... I don't know, what does this remind me of? The style really reminds me of someone. But... And it's just it, about it, his, his angst going to a sex club and getting fucked there for the first time. And again, it's very sex-forward, but it's using that space of sexualization to... Explore, his explore life. something and tell you a story about his inner life and that culture. And so there's plenty of that wonderful stuff. But then at the other side, there's... Just balls out sex. The all packages in yeah. Greg Fox or the... Tom and Finland. All sex all the time in Miyoki. It's a big buff man in a leather hat fucking a dude. Yeah. It's... There's, I mean, there's, there's some genuinely sensational looking stuff here, but then there's also some just like all fucking all the time. I guess, is there an interesting parallel to be drawn with the women's rights movement 
a little bit earlier in that you get this huge swathe of books about female sexuality because mm. it's okay to talk about the fact that we enjoy having sex now. Or at least there is a platform for it. And what I wonder about is to what extent that becomes mandatory and becomes a bit like the superhero aesthetic or the kind of Marvel mainstream. At what point that becomes kind of dogmatically necessary to fit in with a, the cultural idiom? I don't know. I think Dax to Watch Out For does a good job of portraying sex naturally. Mm. It comes up when it comes up. And sometimes it doesn't come up and that's the thing that's addressed. And sometimes it's just about the people and the relationships and the culture and it's not about the sex at all. That feels like a good balance. I know. What, what have we got on this? I don't know. I think we've got... We've, well, we've, we've got we've got a, a number of like vaguely formed hypotheses about what it what gay culture means and how it's expressed in comics. I don't know if it's anything particularly groundbreaking and I no. also just don't feel qualified to comment. Yeah, I've read like some stuff in an anthology. I've read some stuff, I've had some thoughts, I've had some feelings. I think I think there is something about the movement of ambient sexualization and kind of that early win- will to it mm-hmm. and that kind of breaking down. Um there's a lot of stuff around teen experience. and Yes. It's fascinating to contrast. Some of it's touchy-feely, some of it's hard-edged. Yes, I mean, that's a seminal, seminal time for a lot mm. of people. And if you're discovering that your sexuality isn't what the world has suggested that it should be all along, you've mm. got an extra little layer of intrigue. Let's call it intrigue rather than, like, pain. <laughs> <laughs> then there's, the, yeah, there's a piece in also in the anthology, which is late 70s, I think. It's by Mary Wings. Yes, I read that one. I enjoyed it. Um, called Child Labour, which is about her sort of childhood as an orphan and then being adopted by a family and a wealthy family and then having certain conditions and expectations to meet. But having a girlfriend through this and ending up getting married in order to sort of claim inheritance and basically becoming a victim and a toy of the patriarchy whilst mm-hmm. trying to retain some kind of semblance of herself semblance of herself and I guess lesbian early lesbian identity it's set mm-hmm. in the 20s ish um I don't think she kisses a girl until the 30s no sorry it's no it's, it was really interesting very raw very early these are new experiences this was incredibly fucking difficult and it is worth talking about and that kind of brings me back to I, I feel like my sort of my gay history is so fragmented because then mm, I'm going mm. back to like Radcliffe Hall and yeah. that sort of whole sort of inversion thing you know yeah I, mean, I go I, I go very easily to Bloomsbury for this stuff mm-hmm. I go to the, the 20s at the drop of a hat but I'm literate in that era but I'm not maybe as much of a fan don't dislike I'm just not deeply into it this is my opinions about the Bloomsbury group and not what people come to this <laughs> podcast for I should just nor mine but I won't shut up about it <laughs> I, don't I don't know I think other than a resounding recommendation for no straight lines and some sort of whiffling about how queer cartooning has changed I guess like we'll pull out some examples for the show notes and mm-hmm. things that are super cool there's um, nothing I've read that I wouldn't recommend. Wouldn't not recommend? I wouldn't recommend Side by Side unless you also want to get your rocks off. It's very well drawn, Paul. Mm. It is hot. Alright, it did it for me. Uh, I, I Yeah, I wouldn't not recommend. As in, you mm. should go and read all of these comics. They're all pretty good. Yeah. Particularly, I think if you have any interest in the history of the scene or the cultural movement, it's a really, particularly the anthologies, but also some of the um, weekly strips like Dark Stores Out For, yeah. Watch Out For, or Wendell are a really good way to 
to dip in to get the flavour, to get the feel for the time. Mm-hmm. There's some really And also, stuff. I guess, let's not forget that there's, this, there's, there's the meta level there of this is how the scene is depicting itself in yes. its own publications to its own readership. Yes, that's true. There's also a newish thing, which I've not looked at yet, called Honor Girl by Maggie Thrash, which is lesbian teens at summer camp, basically. Ooh. But it's got this wonderful, sort of slightly naive, brightly coloured, almost peanutsy style. More angular than peanuts, but... Roll girl levels of coloured, or...? Yeah, yeah, it's, okay. not, it's, not, it's not far off that, but again, mm-hmm. more, more sort of posedly faux naive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to pick that up at some point. So one thing that I wanted to check out and didn't get time... Um, is what the good current queer webcomics are. Yeah, I haven't looked at that either. don't know what they are. If anybody would like to tell me, I will happily look at them. Um, Why don't people leave some in the comments? Yes, please do. We never get comments. Or send us a tweet on the Twitter. On on, on Twitter.com. Seriously, though, please leave some comments. We'd like to know about some webcomics we can read. Mm. Does that wrap it up? Yeah, I think that wraps it up. That's that's pretty much all I've got for tonight. Well, I'm just going to go and finish off by teabagging Dave Zyder down. So if you want to give us some pithy closing thoughts. I think we should go to the pub. Pithy enough for me. No, I'm, I'm focusing on cheese at this point cheese in my life. Cheese mm mm-hmm. I've made a serious commitment to cheese. Mm. Mm. Probably for the best. Mm Mm-hmm.